2: Hello, hello. Thank you so much for finding Whitehall Sources. Before we get stuck into the politics for you, a quick message from The Resident. These hotels, like their choice in podcasts, are exceptional. Whether you're travelling for business or leisure, at The Resident, you're offered the best rooms, prices, and advice for your needs as well. We are so thrilled to be brought to you in association with The Resident, who have proudly backed us since day one. When we're booking a stay in London or Liverpool, it's the resident we head to, and it's the resident you should head to. To find out more, click residenthotels.com. An inflation will, we believe, continue to fall over the coming months. That reflects the fact that monetary policy is restrictive. So today we've increased bank rate by 0.25 percentage points to 5.25%. Low and stable inflation is the foundation of a healthy economy. High inflation hurts the least well off the most. Hello and welcome to Whitehall Sources. We are recording on Thursday the 3rd of August. I'm Callum McDonald. Thanks for being with us. Kirsty Buchanan's here too. She was an advisor to Theresa May in Downing Street when she was Prime Minister. Hello, Kirsty.
3: Hello, good morning.
2: Uh, I've got an email for you from Amira, um, which is very kind, but also asks a question that I think we should start with. Uh, Hello, Whitehall sources. First, I want to wish Kirsty a speedy recovery and hope she's feeling all right at the moment. Are you feeling all right at the moment? Uh,
3: Yeah, thank you for your uh, well wishes. Yeah, I'm feeling okay. The hair is still valiantly clinging to my head. It's Um, luscious. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) I've had a rough couple of days, but I'm coming out of the swerve.
2: Soldiering on. Uh, Amira goes on, I'm a younger listener, you're very welcome, and I'm interested in working in government in a job like as a special advisor. I'm wondering if Kirsty could give me some advice on what qualifications I need and what it's like. Thanks, says Amira. Shall we start with what it's like?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Eh, Well, first of all, excellent question. Um, What it's like is, don't let anybody tell you anything other than it's the best job in the world. (laughs) um it is just magnificent i mean all jobs have their their beauty but there this is a this is a special job um but not one that you should take lightly it is a privilege um uh, and if you uh you know if you do your job right uh you know you can achieve and do really good things um in terms of potential roads in um uh depending on your party preference uh, I think probably the the, the the best way in would be uh, to try and get a job um, within the research department uh, or the press office of the uh, party of your choice um, it's the kind of most common track for uh, SPAD grooming if you like um, is that you either start as a, as a young researcher in in the party or in the press office and you, you know, uh, you 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 tend to get picked up from there, uh, but it gives you access to MPs and to the party machinery and, you know, and, you, and, you, and it helps with your networking. So that would be, uh, that would be my advice.
2: Nice. There you go. Thanks, Amira. Every so often we get a question like that, don't we, which I really like is how to get into... This job that can feel quite mysterious and quite distant, I think, in some ways. But it's so important, Um, and I I mean, I I always agree with Kirsty, obviously, but also being a radio presenter is the best job in the world. Go on, Kirsty.
3: Also, uh, if I can indulge in a little plug for a fellow colleague. um, uh, Peter Cardwell, who uh, is a colleague now of Callum's and a former SPAD colleague of mine, has actually written a book. Uh, about how to be a special advisor and it's a jolly good read uh, so uh, I can recommend that you uh, have a look at that too because it's full of tips and tricks
2: That's a great shout Secret Life of a Special Advisor I think is what it's called uh, by Peter Cardwell a.k.a. Cardi P Uh, to those who know him. Uh, Thanks for your question, Amira. (laughs) Questions always welcome. Uh, Hello at whitehallsources.com is the email address. And I should say, just by way of lifting the lid on special advisors, who they are, what they do, uh, later on in the podcast, we'll be joined by Adam Bell, uh, who was head of energy strategy at the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy back in the day when that's what it was called. I think it's had about 27 different names since then. Uh, but Adam will join us a bit later in the podcast because we're going to be talking about Rishi Sunak's Energy Week, of course, which I'm sure hasn't hasn't gone unnoticed by all of you, gripped to the Energy Week announcement. Um, before that, though, shall we start with Rishi Sunak appearing on <coughs> LBC? Um, some minor radio station. <laughs> sorry, some minor radio station that... <laughs> I don't know, several people listened to, I'm not sure. Uh, He was, um, so uh, the concept of this uh, rather rogue radio station is to do lots of phone-ins and hear from members of the public who ask their questions and have their say. And so Rishi Sunak was on LBC to answer questions from the public about his top priorities as Prime Minister. These are his words. From driving down inflation to backing our NHS with record resources, it was great to chat about what this Conservative government is delivering. And he's posted a thread of highlights, actually, so on his own Twitter account, on the Rishi Sunak Twitter account, so he must have thought it, it went quite well. In terms of strategy, Kirsty, I suppose this takes him into a format that perhaps is slightly lesser seen for a Prime Minister. You know, a radio phone-in is slightly different to a media interview or a clip on the news or a press conference. Um, did it serve him well this week?
3: yeah I think it's quite a good shout actually um uh, I mean there is some criticism that he's not the most polished media performer when he's down the barrel of the gun, if you like, if you're you know staring straight into you know a camera lens to to deliver a video clip, it makes him a little bit um stilted so actually, being in a studio where he can you know kind of talk without having to look directly at a camera and and be able to bounce off the presenter. Um, and be able to field calls which are you know relatively high risk. In fact, you know, in, in as much as it's 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 the public that calls the shot on it. Um, and I you know I think he um, you know he did what he set out to do, which was to you know deliver some key messages about you know uh, you know I think we were saying a couple of weeks ago that we were we were in pressing need of a bit of kind of you know sunny uplands kind mm. of language, and there was quite a lot of you know, look, I know it's been tough, but, you know, we might, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel, I think was the word he used around inflation, uh, of which we can talk more about that later. Mm. Um, and, you know, he repeated his key messages to, you know, do everything he can around small boats and bringing down uh, NHS waiting lists, etc. So I think, you know, it was it, it was a relatively uh, upbeat uh, performance. There was no big clunkers in there. He came across, you know, engaged and engaging. I think it was a, I think it was a good shout from a strategy point of view, and it just draws the line under the summer and, you know, sets the sets the terms for for autumn.
2: Yeah. Uh, so in, in his sort of highlight clips that he posted, he gave an update on his five priorities. It was interesting. He said while we're on track to achieve most of them, waiting lists are not yet falling because of the strikes in our NHS. That's an interesting just um, sort of technique, I suppose. I mean, not without at least some merit that the strikes are definitely, you know, medical professionals have said that. The strikes are definitely and very obviously setting things back on that front. Um, The Prime Minister said, I hope those striking will accept the independent pay offer and get back to doing what they love. Um, So that's an interesting one where he can kind of communicate that message. Then on cost of living, there was a bit of criticism around his cost of living uh, responses because somebody called in with, real difficulties with their mortgage going up by loads, um, and Rishi Sunak decided to kind of focus on what the average rise was going to be, um, while saying that the, the biggest way he could help was to cut inflation. And that got a bit of criticism for perhaps being a little bit distant from what is somebody's personal and specific situation. But I suppose as Prime Minister, do you have to talk in the broad, the broad abstract in some ways?
3: He does need to be mindful of this. I've seen this happen a couple of times, where he's been given a you know a relatively emotional uh, example, and he's gone for kind of top level answer. Uh, two or three times in, he'll get he'll he'll get the right connectivity eventually, but the connectivity isn't you know his first port of call. It's not you know, to share and understand and empathise. Um, it's to, you know, it's to fire out, if you like, kind of headline messaging. Mm. Um, so I think he needs to be a little bit mindful of that, and particularly around mortgages, because, you know, like I say, it's 1.5 million people whose fixed-term mortgages will come to an end this year, and they are all uh, facing hundreds and hundreds of pounds worth of rises in their mortgage rates. Mm-hmm. And... You know, there's no way to easily accommodate that. That's not, you know, cutting back on your food shopping. That's four, five, six hundred quid extra a month. It's it's going to have real pain and real consequences for people.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, elsewhere then in this, he uh, spoke about net zero. Again, something we'll come back to later in the podcast as part of his energy week. Um, and also, um, finally, I agree with Angela, says Rishi Sunak, that illegal migration is unfair. It's unfair on the British taxpayer... And it's unfair on those who genuinely need asylum. That's why I'm leaving. No stone unturned to stop the boats, um, said the Prime Minister on that one. Um, there was a kind of, I think the first question from some unknown presenter called Nick Ferrari to him on the phone-in was, um, was about, you know, how what how are you getting on in delivery? And I suppose the, the clips he's chosen are him speaking to that on delivery. And it's, you know, we often hold him up on, on the delivery front, don't we on the podcast? Um, and so, leaving no stone unturned. I mean, is it fair of me to say that illegal migration is probably quite a hot topic for LBC listeners? That seems to be something mm. that we see a lot of attention placed on on LBC phone-ins.
3: Look, look I mean, illegal like, immigration is a hot topic for you know voters across the piece. I think um, uh, you know it's not. It's obviously not their primary concern at the moment. That is. Uh, by a long long margin cost of living crisis um but uh it was slightly awkward yesterday in the interview because obviously he's talking about no stone unturned at the same time as Bibby stockholm which is this uh new kind of floating hostel if you like which was supposed to take its first uh, uh residence shall we say today uh, has has not and will not for the foreseeable future because there are health and safety concerns this is this big floating vessel off the coast of dorset which is a kind of trial run for potentially more floating vessels off the coast uh, where they hold people while they're processing um and you know he said he was confident that they'd be in as soon as possible but you know it's a it's a it's a painful reminder of just how complicated and complex this is um, and there are no <laughs> no easy answers to uh, how to get to grips with this problem.
2: Mm. Uh, so that's Rishi Sunak on LBC. He's now in California. Um, he's off on holiday. Uh, I, off- I mean, often there's controversy, isn't there, around prime ministers taking holidays, but I think that's nonsense. <laughs>
3: I don't... I've never... I've never got this. I mean, who wants a burnt-out, exhausted leader of a country? You know, you need to go away. You need to recharge your batteries. I don't think he's had a proper holiday in four years. He was, you know, about 12 hours into a holiday in Spain last year when he had to come back because uh, Her Majesty the Queen had died. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, his family deserve a holiday... Uh, if they want to get their geek on at Disneyland, good luck to them, and I hope they all have <laughs> yeah. a absolutely marvellous time. Frankly, I would rather, you know, tear my own toenails out with a rusty <laughs> plier than go to Disneyland, but, you know... Each to, for each to their own each to
2: their own my other thought on this and this is absolute pure speculation but uh, Piers Morgan posted an Instagram story of him in first class on a British Airways flight from London to Los Angeles yesterday uh, yesterday afternoon, Wednesday afternoon and that was approximately the time that Rishi Sunak was due to be taking off and it had been confirmed earlier in the day that he was going to be travelling on a commercial flight so I have this image of Rishi Sunak and family, probably, in the next aisle over to, to, uh, to Piers Morgan. I pr- they have to travel first class, don't they? The Prime Minister and his family they are going on holiday on a commercial flight. Surely it's first class.
3: Look, I would have I would have thought so. Yeah, it, <laughs> it seems can a you bit imagine, beyond, beyond... Can you imagine Piers Morgan
2: turning uh, to him and just grilling him on the, on the flight? Hello, Prime oh, Minister.
3: You know, Yeah, can you just imagine? He must be hiding behind the seat, <laughs> thinking, right, finally got away, <laughs> yeah. and there's this self-styled inquisitor-in-chief <laughs> sitting in the aisle opposite me. It's, complete, it's pure complete nightmare. Pure speculation,
2: by the way. I'm just being a plane geek and assuming that they might have ended up on the same flight. Uh, right, there we are. That's Rishi Sunak. We'll, um, we'll talk more about... About Rishi Sunak's Energy Week before the end of the podcast. Uh, stay with us for that. This is Whitehall Sources. Thanks very much for being with us. Uh, right, we are going to talk about the Prime Minister's Energy Week now. Um, we on, on the day of recording, it's day four. Uh, there's been lots of discussion this week. Day four is focusing on offshore wind. Oliver Dowden is in Hartlepool, where the biggest offshore wind farm in the world is being built there's been many announcements so to sift through them all we're joined by adam bell who was head of energy strategy at the department for business energy and industrial strategy and now works with kirsty actually at stonehaven Uh, hello adam thanks for joining the podcast right what do you make of energy week first of all um what have been the announcements that have caught your eye that are the most important that we should pay attention to
4: so there's been quite a lot happening this week already and we'll pick out a few of the most important things. So firstly, government's um, announcement it's going to issue 100 new licences for oil and gas exploration and production. Um, as well as this, it's announcement it's going to allocate another £20, uh, another 20 million pounds to the budget for the upcoming um, um, renewables um, allocations uh, scheme rounds And also that it's going to reform the way in which grid connections are delivered and supported to ensure that we can actually connect all this new generation to our system. At the same time as this has been going on, of course, the Prime Minister has also um, announced that um, he's going to support more chess for um, in
2: schools throughout <laughs> like the UK, much sure that's got to do with energy, but certainly I welcome it. <laughs> yeah, fair. Uh, more <laughs> more chess in schools, that's the answer. Um, I, is it fair to say, Adam, that the, the announcement that got the most attention was uh, the first one, on Monday, uh, when it came to oil and gas? Uh, because the Prime Minister went to Aberdeenshire, of course, a key part of the UK when it comes to oil and gas, and indeed the transition towards net zero. And Rishi Sunak was really laying out the case for oil and gas being a part of the journey, if I can put it like that, to net zero. That actually we are still dependent, we still need to use these things on our way to net zero. He also announced a carbon capture scheme alongside all of that. In terms of cut through, has he got his message across, do you think? Or is the kind of anti-Rishi Sunak, anti-oil and gas message cutting through? Uh,
4: So I think his, his message has landed. Um, so what the impression I've got from some of the work that's done over the last um, week or so is that the voters are aware that the prime minister said something in Scotland about oil and gas, mm. um, which is uh, which is you know ex- excellent for him. The difficulty is uh, at the same time I don't think voters view oil and gas is the future. So there's a sense of regress attached to um, this move from an awful lot of the electorate, who view it as just uh, something that we're forced to do in the short term because we haven't quite got ourselves ready for that um, more sustainable uh, future yet. I think also in kind of pragmatic terms the Elizabeth itself doesn't really do anything for bills, it doesn't do anything for energy security. Those hundred licenses are not ever going to make a meaningful contribution to the overall amount of oil and gas we have in the UK. The North Sea's are basin and terminal decline um, quite frankly, there's a very real chance that there's licences for sites that are just uninvestable in a way. There's just not oil and gas to make it work. Mm.
2: And talk to us about the politics of that announcement as well, because it does drive quite a division between the Conservatives and the Labour Party and indeed the SNP within all of that.
4: Yes, so I think the politics are fascinating. Clearly, um, given the announcement from Labour that they're not going to award any new licenses for exploration, does enable the Conservatives to position this as something of a wedge issue. It enables them to say, look, we are in, in favour of doing whatever we can to lower bills now, whereas Labour are shoving off oil and gas production and the jobs associated with that uh, because they want to move more quickly to um, clean tech, which we don't think is responsible. I think, the reason why they're focusing on this is twofold. First of all, um, their reaction to the ULEZ um, in Axbridge, which they were persuaded, which they were convinced was absolutely going to be the thing that um, uh, helped sway a particular by-election and they might have well that it was such a marginal issue, but also they think it uh, demonstrates that they're on the side of consumers. And the difficulty is, as I said, this will actually meaningfully impact of, uh, consumer bills in any real sense. Consumers will still be faced with high bills by the time of the next election, and there'll be reason, uh, and there'll be reasonably asking. So, what happened to all that oil and gas? We might be getting getting for us, Rishi. Mm-hmm. The announcement itself is not enough to change the fundamentals, and therefore, in the long run, given that it will also cost um, the the Tories in terms of the uh, green voters who in money and um, blue wall seats have the option of option of the Lib Dems. Is it really going to be worth the candle in that sense to so potentially buy a couple more votes in the red wall?
2: It's a really fascinating analysis. I noted as well that Conservative Home has published stats on the attitudes of its Tory members' panel toward climate policies and anti-pollution measures. And it is fair to say, reports political, this group isn't big on the green stuff. 66% said they were opposed to low-traffic neighbourhoods, 83% against the 2030 ban on the sale of new petrol and diesel cars, and 40% opposed to the net-zero-by-2050 target. Half the panel said they believed human activity was driving global warming, but a third said they didn't. It's really interesting to how, just the, the lasting impact of that by election in Uxbridge and South Ryslip, the ULES issue, uh, matching it with Energy Week, and, and trying to sort of extrapolate that to the wider public, um, Adam. It, it, I mean, has a by election ever had this direct an impact, on, on, seemingly, on electoral strategy?
4: As far as I'm aware, not, but I think it's one of those cases where they've taken a very particular local issue and assumed, it very much is an assumption, I think it extrapolated out to the national political scene. The entire country isn't going to have a imposed upon it. Mm. And quite frankly, it's only a minority of voters and a number of seats in London where this will be a very specific electoral issue. It does feel very much that um, the Conservative Party has turned inward, is listening to its members more than the public. And as you said, their members... Um, don't necessarily want to act as rapidly as the rest of the country on climate change. But as ever, the most important thing to remember here is that the Conservative Party membership is by no means representative of the wider country.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. In terms then of Labour and what this does to Labour, I think one thing I'm always quite fascinated by is uh, a, a response from the opposition, if indeed one has been forthcoming. Do they now need to evolve their own energy slash green credentials. Uh, Keir Starmer was in Scotland a couple of months ago now, in Edinburgh. He only got as far as Edinburgh, it's worth saying. Uh, But he was in Edinburgh announcing Labour's own plan to stop any new licences for drilling in the North Sea. So in theory, Rishi Sunak's licences are all fine and Labour will continue with those. They'll just stop any new ones from there on. I just wonder if the Labour Party are getting any sort of similar cut-through with their own green policies.
4: So... The impression I've got is that Labour's um, Great British Energy Project, which will be a government-owned energy generator, has got some cut-through. People quite like the idea of of, um, a ownership in the sense of a plan um, against um, the energy transition. But certainly, um, the Labour response to the Conservative announcement has been very much focused around um, saying how terrible this is for the climate, how much it's holding it back, how much it's backward-looking and so on and so forth, there's been less of a sense that that is cutting through, the response to um, what the Conservatives have done. Um, at the same time, though, I think there is... What this uh, process has revealed is something of a, a weakness in Labour's current offer. What is that offer to um, those people in Aberdeenshire who are losing their jobs? How do they uh, make an explicit connection between those important seats in Northeast North East Scotland and their forward agenda? What is their more detailed plan for being in government? I think as we get closer to the election, those are the sorts of questions that are going to matter. Those are the sorts of questions that um, voters and those key seats where they're facing the SNP will start, will start asking and they will need to have something more concrete and the current high level plan
2: they have in place. Mm. Uh, Adam, really good to speak to you. Thank you very much. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, very, happy to, very happy to come on, Adam. Thanks very much. Thank you. Have a good one. That was Adam Bell, who was head of energy strategy at the Department for Business, Energy, and Industrial Strategy, and is now Director of Policy uh, at Stonehaven, uh, where Kirsty also works. News has reached us from our friends at the resident hotels, without whom we would not be here. This podcast is made in association with The Resident. The Resident in Covent Garden in London has been confirmed by TripAdvisor Traveller's Choice Best of the Best as the number two hotel in the UK and number 15 in Europe for 2023. Already, the resident Covent Garden had a magnificent reputation. It was number one in the UK TripAdvisor Traveller's Choice Best of the Best in 2022, and the resident in Victoria and the resident in Soho, both in London, feature in the UK Top 20. Add to that news that the resident in Liverpool, the resident Victoria and the resident in Kensington are all now ranked in the top 10% of hotels worldwide by TripAdvisor. Basically, What we're saying is, if you need a hotel in Liverpool or in London, book the resident. Kirsty, really interesting to hear from Adam. Let's pick up on a couple of things that he said. Um, First of all, the Tories turning inwards. Um, I think that's, that's a kind of political thing to pick up on isn't it when it comes to green and environmental policies and strategies and direction uh, what they will be swayed by
3: yeah that was the the thing that Adam was saying that that caught my eye as well and um, I think the point here is to you know is to to remind ourselves that uh, despite having clung on in Uxbridge, the Conservatives are in terrible, terrible electoral trouble. Mm. Um, and actually, you know, this new strategy that they outlined in the wake of um, uh, in the wake of the Uxbridge by election about a more aggressive strategy, a more kind of punchy Rishi Thunak, is about appealing to core vote because actually, you know, you're in a world where you're not looking to gain votes you're in a world where you're looking to hold on to your core and stem your losses at the moment uh, and I don't think we should lose sight of that the fact you know we are not at the moment in a two-horse general election race it is still Labour very much ahead uh, and the Conservatives very much trying to appeal to get their base out to make sure that you know on the basis of the polls at the moment that you know a dire night isn't historically Catastrophic for them at the next general election. That's kind of, kind of where we are. So mm. all of this, um, you know, all of this, you know, repositioning, more aggressive language, more wedge issues, taking the fight to Labour isn't about gaining new people. It's about trying to hold on to some of that core. Um, now, whether that's red wall or whether that's you know um, the old blue wall, as we used to call it. Um, uh you know we shall see, but at the moment I think it feels it feels like a retrenchment strategy you mm-hmm. know um uh and you know if the world isn't twitter, it certainly isn't the Conservative Party membership either and i yeah. you know uh, 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 you know they 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 should be very mindful, and labour should be very mindful of learning the wrong lessons from uh from oxbridge and Eulers and not panicking about their own particular offer. Because it is, you know, you're learning the wrong lessons from Uxbridge. If you think that people don't care about the world burning, because they very much do. What they what they can't afford to do right now is meet some of the costs of that themselves. So I, you know, come back to the point we were making. I think last week or the week before. You know, I think some of those there will be real heat on some of the more retail uh, policies in the run up to the general election around. You know, transfer to heat pumps from gas boilers you know, the the rapid uh, rollout of electric vehicles and the end of, you know, the banning of petrol and diesel vehicles, you know, I would expect probably, certainly in terms of driving that wedge further, I would expect in the run-up to the election, the Conservatives to push back that deadline. Mm. You know, Rishi started to talk about, you know, practical and pragmatic solutions to net zero. Mm. Um, I think those retail ones will offer. But I think the big-picture transition stuff fundamentally won't change and shouldn't change between either party because that big transition stuff isn't just about net zero it's about jobs and it's about energy security in this country as rishi sunak as himself kind of pointed out there was a a spectacular um, uh, uh, advertising campaign that rishi himself posted called Labour's energy surrender plan Uh, written by Just Stop Oil, making us rely on on foreign oil and gas, risking 200,000 oil and gas jobs. I mean, you know, it's below the boat stuff, but, you know, this is, is, you know, the big prize here is, you know, creating new industries out of renewables um, is about, you know, creating new uh, jobs. It's ultimately about bringing energy security to our country. And ultimately, it's about bringing down our household bills as well. Mm. Um, And I don't think... You know, for all the wedge uh, issues on some of the retail stuff, I don't think either the um, big parties will switch much on that. Yeah. On the big big ticket systemic transition stuff.
2: Yeah. I wonder how you feel then about uh, energy policy. Do email us, hello at whitehallsources.com. It feels like with with the ULES by-election and this Energy Week, I just wonder if this is something that's beginning to resonate.
3: Well, yeah. The other the other point that Adam made, which I thought was a really important and salient one, um, is uh, the one around Scotland. Mm, um, exactly. Now, you know, there isn't actually fundamentally a massive difference between the the, the two parties in terms of the oil and gas licences. Annalise Dodd, the Labour Party chair, was doing a broadcast around yesterday and was saying, "Oh, this is you know this is this is terrible. It sends out the wrong." Signal or will you overturn these licences if you get into government? The answer is no, they won't. Uh, But Adam makes a point about the fact that, you know, eventually, you know, this is going to tap out and you need to create, you know, a transition industry. And these are, you know, the the road to Westminster for Labour very much goes through Scotland in the next general election, very much. There's a lot, a lot of prize to be had there in terms of, uh, taking things off the SNP, so he's a hundred percent right about this. Politically, they really need to get their act together in Scotland on what they're saying about this. This has been very damaging for them, and, they, and it spoke to them quite badly.
2: Mm. The SNP's um, cabinet secretary, responsible for tackling the climate crisis, has accused Tory ministers in Westminster of playing politics with net zero while the planet burns. Uh, which if I may is probably quite a typical uh, line for the SNP to take but it is interesting how they're kind of uh, how the argument is is developing as a result of this week. Um, uh, we've got the S- this is the SNP net zero secretary Mary McCallan saying the climate emergency which is inextricably linked to our energy security and the cost of living crisis is intensifying at an alarming rate and action to prevent catastrophic and irreversible damage to our planet is more urgent than before. Uh, Two years ago, world leaders attended COP26 in Glasgow and delivered real progress on key issues like loss and damage, the importance of capping temperature increases at 1.5 degrees Celsius. Yet since then, we've seen the Tories quickly go backwards on their net-zero commitments, while Labour have ditched flagship plans to spend £28 billion on green energy, showing a total disregard for the workforce in the northeast of Scotland. Um, So the SNP, you know, with quite a political attack, sort of in light of them not really moving on green energy policy particularly, and they have a bit of a, um, a bit of an issue, I think, in Scotland, particularly in the North East, where it's always been an all-out battle between the SNP and the Conservatives, primarily in the northeast of Scotland. They've got a bit of an issue in terms of saying, well, hang on a second, what are you doing for this part of the country? If that's what Rishi Sunak is coming up here to promise, actually, what, what are you doing? So there's a bit of a void to fill on, on the part of the SNP in terms of trying to deliver policy for that part of the country. You can email hello at whitehallsources.com to get in touch and to have your say. Um, I think I will. Let's just go on. Let's just do it in the order we've recorded. Let's go on to interest rates now. So I'll introduce interest rates. Now, at the time of recording, we're standing by for yet another, we think, interest rate rise. This would be the 14th time in a row that the Bank of England is to announce an interest rate rise, uh, driving up the cost of borrowing, potentially good if you've got any savings, well done if you do. Um, We have seen the fastest rise in interest rates in modern history. This is all about the Bank of England trying to bring down inflation. Uh, It's running at 7.9%, the target is 2%, and Rishi Sunak of course promised to have inflation didn't he by the end of the year that was one of his five pledges um and so it's brace 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 if you've got a a mortgage that might be due if you've got any sort of borrowed money at all the interest rate concerns have been growing for quite some time and look like they're going to continue from today Kirsty. and this when it comes to the political bit of this this is what makes politics feel really personal is that it hammers my bank account my money and my wallet and everything is is expensive, basically.
3: Yeah. Look, and it's um, this is a high wire act, right? Can you uh, raise interest rates to a point that you don't plunge the country into a recession, but you do squeeze enough out of uh, inflation to start bringing it down to uh, to what Rishi Sunak's target would be at the end of the year, which is five point three percent. Uh, which is still a long way off from the good old days of the Bank of England's 2%. I mean, like, to put the interest rate uh, rise in perspective, if they do raise it by 0.25% today, which they are widely predicted to do, it'll be 5.25%. In December 2021, do you want to have a guess what inflation rate was in December
2: 2021? In 2021, uh, the target's 2%. Was inflation was it 1 no no point- this is
3: interest this is oh this, sorry interest, interest rate. rate
2: interest rate sorry mm. sorry in september 2021 interest rates probably were like 1% not 0.1% not 0.1 yeah
3: uh you know and so th- there is a there is a kind of recalibration here that people need to um uh you know try and start to accommodate which is that You know, we are not going to get back to uh, this Mm. world of cheap money. You know, Covid, Ukraine war, um, you know, has completely obliterated that. And energy transition too, because, you know, electricity transition is going to cost a lot of money. Um, So the days where we had these just very, very historically low interest rates uh, are gone for the foreseeable future um uh, so uh, you know there is pain uh it's going to subside There there is some evidence that you know uh, the data in june for inflation was 7.9 percent had fallen a little bit faster than people had anticipated and there is some evidence that food and energy costs have now peaked uh but you know we get back to you know if we're if we're fortunate and we you know we don't over, over tip and end up in a recession, uh, you know we'll still have inflation of you know five point you know possibly five percent by the end of the year, uh, and interest rates won't come down very quickly and they certainly won't come back down to those kind of levels, uh, you know for a very very long time if mm-hmm. ever because the world is just becoming. Um, you know, much more expensive, and transition costs are uh, are going to are going to hit us all. Uh,
2: um,
3: that's really depressing. I'm terribly sorry. No, so, I
2: mean that is the reality of the of the situation. I, I mean, just alongside that, I note um, some coverage in the Times today. Some reporting in the Times today that if you're young, you are far more likely to take out a 36-year mortgage. This is according to Taylor Wimpy, of course, as a house builder. Standard mortgages are for 25 years. Uh, but it just shows that the, that young people are at the forefront of this, actually. The young people are, are are trying their best to do what would be considered, you know, the right thing, buying a house, getting a mortgage, whatever. And actually, by taking a 36-year mortgage, first of all, the interest rate's going to whack you even harder because you're paying interest for longer. You're paying more interest for longer. Uh, but also, that's just a long time to have a mortgage to pay off. Um, one of the other things I note, and just by way of the Labour's sort of economic argument today... ...is that they're arguing that Rishi Sunak's actions as Chancellor... ...left the UK paying more to service its national debt. So the figures on this, the cost of doing so has risen by £56 billion more... ...than other G7 countries. Um, political notes that amounts to around £2,000 per household. I'm just quite struck by that because it might be sort of fair economic co- comment... ...but I just wonder how much that really matters to people... ...when actually it's about it's about my household, it's about my mortgage... ...it's about my household debt, it's about my cost of living... And I don't know if I care that much about servicing the national debt at this point.
3: Yeah, well, two things to think. I think, one, you know, from a household point of view, I think they care considerably less about that than they care about, um, you know, the impact of Liz Truss's petri dish free market economics on on the markets last October and what that did uh, to the banks and the gilt markets and therefore their mortgages. Um, So I think that's probably the first point. And the second point is, uh, it feels a little churlish. Um, I mean, what Rishi Sunak and the Treasury team did uh, during COVID was create a rescue package that lifted the economy from one side of a raging torrent of a pandemic uh, and lifted the entire economy almost wholesale, carried it over a bridge, put it on the other side at the end of the pandemic. Now... You know, there are plenty of arguments about, you know, uh, what they should and shouldn't have done in the margins and whether there was too much kind of, uh, you know, too much fraud and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But it was an emergency situation. Um, And they were tasked with thinking the unthinkable. And, you know, and this is one of Rish's main points. You know, you trusted me during the pandemic to get the economy through, and I did. Uh, Trust me again now. Um, I can get you through, you know... Uh, you know this dark time in the economy as well because I've done it once before and I've proved it. So, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I'm not entirely, I'm not entirely sure as Chancellor what he should have done was like what let the economy get swept away and um, you know everybody lose their jobs. Uh, no,
1: mm-hmm.
3: um, I, I think they have much more fruitful attack lines around the mortgages. Uh, around cost of living and around crime, and I, I think they should kind of stick there, frankly.
2: Um, Kirsty, thank you very much. I think the theme of the week, I have wrote this down quite early on, the theme of the week seems to be connectivity, and particularly the Prime Minister's connectivity. We said that in relation to the LBC phone-in, connectivity speaks for itself when it comes to energy, obviously, but then also in terms of resonating with people's own situations, the cost of living um and connecting connecting all of these things together in order to make people feel better off and actually uh you know that's the reality it's it's it's, it's politics being personal i think so i've written down the pm's connectivity what do you think about that
3: yeah, yeah i like
2: it <laughs> we'll take that and um, not just the pms instantly um, other politicians too go on
3: i mean we've never been i don't think in a in a time in recent years where you know headline politics matters so much to household budgets mm. um you know people now can you know unfortunately painfully feel you know the direct dotted line from what happens in Westminster or you know Holyrood or or the senate to, to what happens in their own household budgets what happens with their mortgages you know what happens when they go to the supermarkets they you know we're all too painfully aware of, of it and this is why, you know, I mean, it is impossible to uh, to overstate how much the cost of living crisis has completely consumed everybody's, uh, you know, bandwidth in terms of politics. It's the only thing, and it doesn't matter, you know, all but the very well healed all feel it, you know. Uh, we're not just talking about people on low incomes here, which, and we're not just talking about just about managings anymore. Even people who have, you know... What by any measure would be a good salary are still mindful uh, of of you know of making you know cutbacks at the moment and are still worried and feel insecure, um, and that is the you know and that is the key component at the moment and we are still you know on that tightrope of you know can we you know can we squeeze out inflation and bring it down without you know tipping the whole shooting match into you know recession which will make things just worse because the one thing we have got going for us at the moment is you know we still have incredibly quite a tight labor market mm. we still have our work and pension secretary telling 50 year olds to get on their bikes and yes. deliver pizzas for britain um yes. <laughs> you know to That's to make funny. a few extra bob um you know uh we have with you know we still have quite a chronic labor shortage although not you know my son can't seem to get a job for love nor money at the moment, but um, yeah. you know. But I'm told that there's a kind of chronic labour shortage, mm. and um, you know. So, but, but if that goes too, then you know, then all of this will will actually get uh, worse. So a lot hangs on the Bank of England's decision today, and whether it's just about the right calibration. So fingers crossed, everybody. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, by the time you listen to this, interest rates might be at a 15-year high of 5.25%. Uh, right, that's it from us for today. Um, thanks very much indeed. I've got to get a haircut, I think, at some point today. Uh, so that's next on my to-do it's list, just Kirstie.
3: showing off. Oh, sorry. You, you need to get a haircut and my hair is li- literally falling out as I'm talking to you so <laughs> you know big show off
2: <laughs> <laughs> I did not mean that your hair looks lovely I keep saying this to you your hair is wonderful I think it's great
3: I mean I, li- I mean, it is literally falling out all over me as we're talking but um, oh, you know uh, I- I'll give it another couple of weeks mate okay
2: well we love you lots thanks for being here kirsty always great to have you on the pod Uh, thank you very much for listening thank you for following thank you for subscribing we drop into your podcast feed every week speaking to those who have made the decisions who have influenced policy who have lived life behind the door of downing street and of course in the uh, offices of the opposition as well so do join us again for whitehall sources and we'll talk to you again soon